0: I believe that uh, when we walk in intimacy with the Lord, our whole life changes. Your past, your present, your addictions, your struggles, the things that people have done to you, the way people have abandoned you or labeled you, the things that you have partnered with in your heart and mind, I don't care what they are. Only He has the authority to tell you who you are. We have to ask Holy Spirit to download His heart to our heart. We have to be people. Who raise their hands and say, I'm here, this is my city, this is my region, it's not somebody else's problem. We are going to switch things up a little bit today, have some fun, I'm going to actually teach first, and then we're going to have worship, and um, before we do that, I'm going to give you some highlights, which are on my phone, which... Is, which is a normal thing, is that I have no idea where my phone is. Uh, but it's okay. I have three things that I want to tell you guys about. One of them is the, we have Living Waters University classes coming up. What Living Waters University is, is simply adult classes that we do, we do series on Tuesday nights. And this coming Tuesday night, we're starting two different classes that we want to invite you to. One of them is called Creative You. It is an art class taught by Veronica Thomas. It is $10 per session, so it's $60. Uh, She is an incredible artist, well-trained artist, would love to teach you and to walk you into the full expression of creativity. If God is calling you into that in this season, that she would be more than happy, more than happy to walk you into that and to teach you and to do that class with you. So that will be... Starting this coming Tuesday night, and whether you are advanced or whether you are beginning, uh, this class is for you. If you feel something stirring in you to explore a creative God who is who has made you to be creative, um, she would love to teach you on that. Can you wave your hand one more time so people can see you? Go talk to her about it. She will um, tell you a little bit more, and you can go to the welcome center and get more information about that. Gentlemen, guys, I want to talk to you for a second. We are starting our, our six-week series called Sons and Brothers, and um, C.J. McPhail and I have been working hard on putting together these six classes and, and, and framing these six weeks to be breakthrough, ser- uh, breakthrough sessions for guys. Now, I know that when you get into church and people start announcing their stuff from the front, they always oversell it. It could be a potluck. And we're like, it is going to change your life. It's going to be this potluck, I'm kidding you not, is a life changer. But for, for this, I am not lying, men... We need to get serious about our connection with God as a father, discover our identity as sons, and begin to challenge one another to walk that out as brothers. And this class is not going to be about patting you on the back. It's not going to be about holding your hand. It is going to be about giving you tools to maintain and to walk in the breakthrough that Jesus Christ has given us as men and in our authentic identity and our masculinity and what that looks like within this time, this place what it looks like in our marriages, what it looks like as dads, what it looks like as friends, in our relationships, in our workplaces. And so I challenge you guys. We are not, this is not going to be your typical men's thing. It's not, a, it's not a men's breakfast. It's not a, anyway, it's not going to be that. You will be challenged. You may get kicked in the rear in a loving way um, because that's what we hunger for, I think, as men. It's what we need. And um, so we would spur one another on to greatness and to the fullness of who we're supposed to be in our, in all areas of our life. So, guys, it's six weeks. It only costs twenty dollars. The twenty dollars is simply for childcare. If any of you need childcare for those nights, we have it provided so that you don't have to say I can't go because I've got to be with my children. And if you can't afford the twenty dollars, we would gladly pay for you to be there. I know that. Um, We've received some scholarships and some different people that have given towards getting men there. So after service, guys, go sign up at the Welcome Center and get the information so that you can be here this Tuesday night. We need you registered so that we can break you into the the, uh, small groups and the things that we're going to be doing. And then finally, we have our face-to-face ladies conference. Um, This is (coughs) life-changing. See what I did there? This is our sixth year of doing it, and it's going to be, it is going to be uh, an amazing time for women, and it is coming up in November, November? it is November, isn't it, holy mackerel, what is happening, and so um, we would love for every woman to be able to go and participate and be a part of that, same thing goes, if if you can't afford to go, please let us know, we have scholarships available for that, we want everybody who wants to be there to be able to be there, but Here's the thing, we're limited to only 150 spaces, and it's filling up very rapidly, um, and so I think that even after first service, we had a bunch more people registering, so please go and register quickly um, as soon as this is done, and then you will have a spot reserved. Okay, let's, uh, we're going to take offering, and uh, if this is the way that you give in the, in the morning offering, we are going to take offering in a moment. Also, you are welcome to go online and give. You can, there's boxes in the back that you can drop your giving into. Uh, you can also text 84321 and, and text and give that way. Just make sure you count your zeros before you hit send.
1: Um, no refunds.
0: Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, and uh, junior hires, if you would stand and make your way over there to the back. Woo! We are going to, uh, we release the junior hires to go have some fun, all junior hires. right let's pray for the offering and then we'll jump we'll jump right into a to a new series god we we thank you that everything we have belongs to you we give back into your kingdom we give back into you we give back thankful that we're not doing it to check a religious box we're not doing it because somebody told us that if we didn't we'd be cursed we're doing this as an expression of worship we're doing this as an opportunity to partner with your kingdom and we pray that from the generosity of this house this this amazing group of people partnering together that you would be famous in this city, that people would come to know you, Jesus. Their hearts and lives and marriages and minds and families and would be restored, set free, set on the path that they that you have for them. We uh, just give into your kingdom. Excited to see what you do as you bless it, you take it, you bless it, you multiply it, and you use it for your purposes. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, you can come on through, and and uh, as always, there are there are cards in front of you in this below under the seats in front of you Um, those are connect cards and if you are new or newer to living waters we would love for you to fill one of those out let us know that you're here let us know if there is a, a prayer request that we can have that we can be praying for you share with us a testimony of something God's been doing in your life we love to celebrate those and so those connect cards are for you to grab those fill those out, and, uh, and, and drop it by the Welcome Center after church so that we can say hi to you. So, um, We are doing a new series. You guys, you made it through contextual revolution, so well done. Well done. Well done. Awesome. Well done. You made it through. Um, we are on to a new series. We're going to be spending the next month Talking about worship, and 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 we have the title of the series is called "When We Worship." And you may be shocked to find out that I'm not a worship leader. Um, you won't catch me up here playing a guitar and singing songs. Uh, I, I think I'm a worship leader because I love to like uh, pick the songs out for the worship team and go, "Hey, you should do this song, and this song would be great here, and maybe if you played that a little bit different, or if you thought about the, you know, I love to chime in, but I'm really, I'm not helping anyone at all. It's this." internal i believe every preacher believes they're a worship leader every worship leader believes they're a preacher um, and so uh, we but as worship leaders as Kate and I are co-pastoring and leading this this church we know that we are worship leaders we are raising up people and that's our passion is to raise up people who are hungry to be worshipers of God that know who they worship and know why they worship and so that's why we wanted to tackle this series and jump into it and I love worshiping with this family. I love the testimonies of what God's been doing as we've come together and, and worshiped to, to people, be, people being able to come here and say, I just felt the presence of God so powerfully. It was amazing to sit and just weep and have God touch my heart or this and that. I mean, different testimonies of things that God's been doing in, in, in people and, and through our times of worship. And so I love what God is doing and, and how that's working out. And we wanted to affirm that and, 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 and continue to make a place where we can experience peace and hope in the presence of God and that we would step into that place and that worship would be foundational to who we are and that we would have that, as a people, we would have that one heart and that one mind that was so profound in Acts 2 and Acts 4 that was allowing God to be able to move. So I want to define, when we talk about, when I talk about the things that God is doing, and we're talking about a new series, I want to define what we're talking about, and when we're talking about simplicity in worship. It's adoring Jesus, and to adore Jesus, you may be surprised to find out that we don't need a big stage, we don't need lights, we don't need a guitar, we don't need perfect songs, we don't need perfect pitch, we don't... Thank God we don't have to have perfect keys and 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 you know our transitions between songs don't have to be perfect because it is not it's not that we're a perfect people it's not that we are all in perfect circumstances right now it is that we adore and worship a perfect God and that's what drives us to to worship and to celebrate and to set our hearts on Jesus together and and I get it as we're talking about when we worship that we are Romans 12 that we when people say oh let's talk about worship we are all worshipers we are all worshiping something whether we worship God or not we're created to worship so so no matter what our hearts are bent towards worshiping something and fixating on something and living towards something but when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior we begin this lifestyle of worship and Romans 12 tell teaches us that everything that we do in life is about worship so yes there is an uh, Old Testament theology of worship. There's a New Testament theology of worship. There's an individual theology of worship. But we're not talking about those this month. What we're talking about this month is our, this specific gathering together that we have. And when we come together corporately to worship God in this kind of weird way where we all come, we sing songs. There's nowhere else in life. I don't think, unless you go down to the bar for the drinking songs. Um, There's not many places where you get together with strangers and you sing on a weekly basis. And so this is a little bit weird, but I love it. And it's powerful, and I want to talk to you guys today about what happens when we come together in corporate worship, and why it is so powerful for us as a church, as a tribe, that we are finding our voice. That whether you've been here for a day or you've been here for a hundred years, which would be amazing, um, that you are a part of this journey and you're a part of this tribe, and you're bringing your voice to something corporate as we adore Jesus together. So, what happens when we do? What happens when we worship Him together? And and so that's what I want to talk about when we come together. And so. I define worship as simply adoring Jesus, and that can be true of every area of our life and all the different places of our life. But I want to talk about what worship is, what the definition of worship when we're together, and this is how I wrote it out. Our working definition of of worship is, is standing together in freedom, right in the middle of God's presence and saying, I am in awe of you for who you are, for what you've done, for what you're about to do, It is saying to God together in one voice and one heart, you are welcome here, you can have my all, you have my yes, and do what only you can do. But here, let me define for you what worship isn't. It's not earning or manipulating a response from God, and it's not trying to appear spiritual for other people's benefit. Okay, I think we have it up here. Okay, It's not earning or manipulating a response from God. It's not trying to appear spiritual for others. So when we're here in worship together, it's not trying to say, God, please come. We, we, we If we worship right, if we get the right song and we all hit the right note, you're going to do something amazing. We're not manipulating a response from God and we are not trying to appear spiritual to other people. It isn't a performance for God and it absolutely isn't a performance for anybody else. And it Isn't about what you do or don't do externally. Worshiping together is going to be about an overflow of our heart condition. It's not what you do externally that says, oh, that person's really, really worshiping. Look at what a great worshiper they are because they're jumping up and down and they have their hands out. Surely they must be more spiritual than everybody else. Well, you know, there's times in my life when this and worshiping and being exuberant in in praise and honoring Him is a total distraction from what's going on in my heart, and I just go into habit mode. Oh, yes, I am Fine. Everything's fine. I'm just so good. Thank you, Jesus. When I should be, I should be with my face to the wall in the back saying, God, I'm so mad at you. Why are you not showing up that my worship would be honesty from the place of saying I'm a son or I'm a daughter? It's not what you see on the outside. And it can be silent. It can be weeping. It can be shouting and jumping and celebrating. It can be laying on the floor, just letting his presence pour into us it's it's not going to be defined by what we see in people it's that how do we get a heart together to just say oh we adore you we're in your presence together we're honoring your presence together and that's what I want this place to continue to step into and to continue to become and I want you to know this I want you to hear me say this you can sing you can dance you can laugh You can kneel, you can raise your hands, you can do whatever is on your list. uh, But it's not that you have to do any of those things. It is in the invitation and the freedom for us to respond to God, however, we are feeling compelled in that moment to be able to respond to Him in freedom and knowing that, that it makes it powerful that we would choose whatever our response is that we have chosen it, and it hasn't been given to us by someone who says, this is what worship looks like. I remember when I was leading the Anthem students, which was our discipleship school years ago, and they were, we would have morning worship time, and um, they still tell this story. I don't know if any of them are here, but I, but I came in, and they were all, we were worshiping. We would worship, and they were all, they were all like half asleep, like, uh, and I walked in, and I was like, and I, legendary, like, got in. And I was like, get your hands up, and and they're like, yes, whoa, absolutely, absolutely, and we joke about it, I'm like, guys, that is, that was more me, that was not God's heart, I was just so tired of watching you just sort of be asleep, and they, so they still, they give me a hard time about that, I don't want that to be a response to people, to say, it has to look like this, or it has to be like this, that we have the freedom to, to express ourselves to God, and especially in a group setting like this where we enjoy one another's freedom instead of being put off by it or confused by it or, or, or comparing ourselves to one another. Um, in our gatherings, I want there to be the option. That's what I was talking about, that freedom and that, oppor- that invitation to respond to God however we're, we're compelled. And that's what I believe it looks like to worship in spirit. And to worship him in truth. Now, worshiping in spirit and truth, it's kind of one of those cheesy Christian-y religious things that we say. Let's worship God in spirit and truth. And I don't know if we all know what that really, what that really means. And so I want to demystify some of these funny sayings that we have in church. And so I want to tell you what it means to worship him in spirit and in truth. And this comes from a passage in John chapter 4. And there's a Samaritan woman, and she's at the well. Uh, And she's at the well in the middle of the day because this is Jesus' encounter with probably the most ostracized and outsider in all of the New Testament. Of all of Jesus' encounters, this woman would have been probably the highest ranking as far as the, the, the most outcast person that Jesus comes into contact with because the Jews didn't have anything to do with the Samaritans. They split, and although they had the same religion, they went completely different ways. The Samaritans intermarried with Gentiles, and so the Jews believed that they had turned their back on God and that they were unclean, and they wouldn't even uh, eat with them. They, wouldn't, they absolutely wouldn't touch them. There was, not, there was this racial hatred and separation that was going on. Not only that, so Jesus was Jewish, she was Samaritan, not only that, she was a woman and he was a man, and in that society, you know it was extremely sexist, and so he goes walking up to this woman who was in the middle of the day going to the well, which tells you everything that you need to know. She wasn't there. She was even cast outcast within her own society, within her own her own culture. Why? Because it was, it was looked upon as extremely scandalous to be divorced one time, but to be divorced five times, as Jesus said that she was, in that culture would be... Beyond, beyond anyone, no one had any grid for that. And not only was she divorced five times, she wasn't married to the person that she was living with at the time. And Jesus, as he is, he is prone to do, he, he loves walking into social uh, norms and just kicking them over. And he goes walking up to this outcast woman. And he says, hey, can I get some water from you? And she's like, whoa, I'm Samaritan, you're Jewish, why are you talking to me? You're a dude, I'm a gal, why are you talking to me? Third, you you want to drink off of my cup? You want to share the cooties, the Samaritan cooties? And Jesus begins this amazing conversation with her, and if you don't know, the Samaritans and the Jews, they believed in the same God, and the, and the Samaritans believed that they, there was a mountain that, God, that they went to to worship God, and the Jews believed that you worship God in the temple in Jerusalem, and so they, they, while they shared the same religion, they were completely separate on the application of it, and so Jesus came to her, and that's kind of your back setting. There's your quick <clears throat> context for this. Um, and so Jesus comes to the Samaritan woman, and he's talking with her about worship, and he's talking with her about her faith. In fact, the, anyway, uh, John four nineteen. Sir, the woman replied, "Our fathers worshipped on the mountain. On this mountain, that is the that's the mountain that the that the Samaritans went to to worship. Yet you Jews say that the place to worship is in Jerusalem." Jesus told her, "Believe me, an hour is coming and has already come, when." Um, Believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. So what Jesus was saying to her is this. I want you to open your eyes to this. True worship is not about my nation against your nation. It is about a kingdom where everybody gets to have a father. And that's what that verse is saying, is that believe me, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. And then John 4, 23, a time is coming and now has come when the true worshipers will worship the father in the spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers that the father seeks so worshiping him in spirit is recognizing that we act we can worship god anywhere and everywhere not on a mountain not in a temple i don't have to go to a certain place worshiping him in spirit says i can worship him no matter where I am and worshiping Him in truth is, is worshiping Him in the revelation of who Jesus has shown the Father to be. And that's what it means to worship in the Spirit and the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And so, but I also don't want you to miss this in this passage. He is seeking true worshipers. They are the kind of worshipers that the Father seeks. So, this place as a house of worship, us worshipers moving into and saying, we want to be a people of praise. We want to be a people of worship. We understand that when we worship, that we are the very people that Jesus was seeking out for his dad. That if we are going, ah, God, I'm hungry for you. Why aren't you showing up? Why aren't you showing up? I would say maybe it would be good that you would simply say, God, show me how to be a worshiper because your scripture tells us that this is the type of person that the Father is seeking after. If I need him to show up, I'm going to become a worshiper because that's who he's looking for. And I want us to be a house of worship so that we know that this is what God is looking for in his people. There's more for us to step into corporately. There's more for us to step into as a family. Wherever there's a people that worship, wherever there's a people that, wherever there's a people that hunger for God, that we walk in that simple adoration I was talking to you about earlier and, and that we, we would know that this promise is that as we worship him, that, that his presence is here and moving in this place and that heaven is looking to break out in places of worshipers, where worshipers are gathering, and so that's what I want our heart to be, and that's what I want us to be going after. Um, to me, so that's what it looks like when we're in spirit and in truth, and so when we worship in spirit and in truth, we're experiencing a new level of freedom, freedom in worship, and so to me, worship is the ultimate expression of freedom. It is the ultimate expression of of the freedom that I'm experiencing in my heart. It is the ultimate expression of the freedom that I'm experiencing within a community like this. It is the ultimate expression of trusting my heart with people and to God. And But to experience that kind of freedom, worship cannot be required. Worship cannot be required. The, the second that something is required or expected, it ceases to be worship. Anything that we do, compelled by someone else or to fill some, fulfill someone else's expectation, and we do it out of that heart, that moment, it ceases to be worship. Worship has to be from an overflow of a free heart. And that's why it's so exciting for us to be able to be in a community like this where we can say, God, teach us how to be free so that out of that freedom, our hearts are alive and worship overflows out of us. And 2 Corinthians 3.17 Says this, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And that's where we wanna, that's where we wanna live from. Galatians five, one. In the first part of that verse, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. We all know this verse so well. And we also know that Jesus Christ alone has set us free from sin and death. Like we get that as a doctrine, we get that theologically, we understand. Jesus has set me free from sin and death. When I call out to Jesus and I surrender my life to him, I am placed uh, from a path that was leading to certain death. I am placed onto a path of eternal life and that eternal life begins to live in me now. And I flow and live from that place, anchored in eternity and living for and from eternity and when that transition happens that's what that's the shift that takes place in me and we get that theologically that he has set us free from sin and death but I want to also remind you that Jesus has set us free from other things he set us free from fear he has set us free from insecurity he has set us free from self-consciousness I want you to understand that everybody isn't looking at you when you come into this place to worship We believe that. We have this inner voice in our head, right? The inner coach that says, Don't look, don't do that. You look silly right now. Everybody's looking at you. You'd be surprised to find out, Mr. and Mrs. Egocentric person, uh, that not everybody's looking at you. Everybody's thinking the same thing. Oh, geez. What is the appropriate arm angle for worship at this moment? There it is. That's the one. He has set us free from sin and death. He set us free from fear of man. He set us free from self-consciousness. He set us free from that feeling like everybody's looking at us and that we have to perform. That is no longer a burden that we live under. He set us free from doubt, from social ar- awkwardness. Praise God. Um, he's, he set us free from negative thinking. All those things that want to exist, all those lies that want to ensnare us, and diminish our ability to live in the fullness of who God has created us to be. He wants to and has broken those off of us. And so that's what we want corporate worship to be. We want this gathering of people to be a sacred space. We want it to be a judgment-free zone. We want, if somebody wants to dance, if somebody needs to laugh, if somebody needs to cry... If somebody needs to sit quietly with their arms crossed with a look of anger on their face because that is what they're processing with their dad in that moment, with their, with their heavenly father in that moment, that's what we want people to be able to do and know that they are a valuable part of the journey of corporate worship with us. It is for that kind of freedom. That he set us free. The second part of Galatians 5.1 says this. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That yoke of slavery is religious slavery that it's talking about in Galatians 5. Don't be burdened again by that religious slavery. In worship, what does religious slavery look like? Luke 19 has a great description of what religious slavery looks like. It's the Pharisees. In Luke 19.37-40, through 40, and this is Jesus coming in what we call the triumphal entry. And he's coming into Jerusalem, and and, and people are celebrating him. They're finally beginning to get a glimpse of who Jesus is. And while it's not a full glimpse, and while they still have a lot of expectations that they're trying to get him to fulfill, uh, they're beginning to celebrate and honor him and his disciples especially. And as he approached the descent from the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of disciples began to praise God joyfully in a loud voice for all the miracles that they had seen. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. But some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to the teacher, said to him, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he said, I tell you this, he, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. That's what religious slavery looks like to me. Religion always wants to put an end to people's freedom. Religion always wants to put an end to people's exuberance. Religion always wants to put an end to people's processing of pain. They always want to just say, stop. Don't act like that. Don't go through that. Pretend like you have it all together. I don't care if you're hurting. I don't care if you're happy. Just act like this. And that's what religious slavery wants to do to every single one of us. And when we begin to celebrate the miracles and, the re- and recalling the mighty works of God and the things that He's done in our life and we begin to celebrate and shout and proclaim victory, even if we're not experiencing it and we're proclaiming it, that religious spirit wants to say, silence them. And Jesus understood how powerful it was. It didn't matter if I silenced them because worship is everything. And if they don't worship, then these rocks themselves are going to proclaim my greatness. I'm sorry. Your host. It's not going to stop. And so, what we want to be is people who, like those disciples, that we would say, Glory to God, the King of Kings, the great things that He's done, and that we would bring those things to mind. But what does that look like in freedom, in corporate worship? What does that freedom look like in corporate worship practically? It looks like us being kids. Honestly, it's us being kids, it's that fearlessness. It's that reality that nothing is hindering our praises to God. Just like kids. Matthew 18. You guys know this passage of scripture. And if you don't, it's a beautiful picture of Jesus in his heart. Jesus called a little, a little child to stand among them. Truly I tell you, he said, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Freedom in worship looks like us being able to be kids. But religion has these funny sayings. They like their taglines. You can be childlike without being childish. Really though, let me, let me try this with my sons. When they're going through stuff, when they're, when they're processing things that they can't understand, let me tell them to just grow up. Let me tell them to just join me up here figure it out, be quiet, stop that, simmer down, squelching their life, squelching their process, that we just say, I, I, be seen but not heard, right, that old way of, of, of raising kids. And then we begin to believe that that's how our father sees us. And But the most powerful thing that a dad can do is to be able to set an environment where their son And daughter can be comfortable and safe and free in their presence. One of the most heartbreaking things that I experience as I'm out in our city and and walking around our city is seeing as kids are acting out and they're having fun and they're being kids and then their dad comes around and you see them shut down within themselves because they're afraid of their dad. Fear of their father tells them to shut down, to behave, to be a certain way. And instead of an environment that we should be creating as dads, when when we walk into the presence of our son, our daughter, that they come fully alive. That they know that they're safe to be themselves. They know that they're safe to be loud and noisy and have snot dripping down their face. That they know that it's okay to throw a temper tantrum here and there. They know that it's okay not to be perfect. They get it because it's not about performance. It is about the value of saying, "You are loved and you are my son and you are my daughter and it's not that you have to have everything together. It's not you coming up here and processing life from my level. It is my willingness to come down and process life with you." at your level, and meet you there, and love you there. And that's the kind of freedom that we have in worship, that our expression would be able to say, because I'm safe with my dad. If I'm angry, if I'm hurting, if I'm happy, if I'm joyful, if I need to weep or laugh or whatever it is, is that he brings me into his presence, and he says it's safe to do that here with me. And I love you in that place, and I want you to have that freedom in worship. What a statement like that is making. When a religious person says, oh, we can, we can be childlike without being childish, what's really being said is that the expression of your true self before God makes me uncomfortable, and I want you to stop it. But you're thinking, maybe you're thinking this, but if we tell people to be childlike in worship, don't we risk excess? Religion is very afraid of excess. I honestly, I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> Let's find out. Um, and honestly, who are we to define other people's excess when somebody is worshiping God? I, I think we would be in a better place if we were more concerned to make sure that we aren't giving half-hearted worship to Him instead of worrying about somebody else's freedom. Of course, freedom isn't our highest value. You guys, you guys understand that. Freedom submits to love. When I'm in an environment, I, it's not gonna. I don't get to just say whatever I want to do. It's all about me, and I can I can hit people next to me, and I can run through the aisles and push people over, and go. It's just my freedom. Freedom submits to love, and love provides an atmosphere, even by the way that I'm worshiping, that makes people feel alive and safe around me. And so, yeah, freedom is everything, but, it's, but it submits to that law of love. So, no, you don't get to run down the aisles and push people over. I'm sorry. No kicking people or smacking people in the face. Maybe once or twice, but we're going to ask you, say, you. Can you stop? Stop with the excess, brother. Freedom doesn't mean that you get to do whatever you want. No contraband. Um, you can't, you can't just show up with your flag and your shofar, uh, and and blow it whenever you want. We had, here's why though, here's why, because we are, we are, you are living in a community of creatives and worshipers and you are invited in. You don't have to go rogue. You're invited in to be a part of that expression. You don't have to sneak your shofar in and blow it in the back of the room. Call all the angels and the four horsemen of the apocalypse, or whatever's supposed to, whatever's supposed to come when you blow that thing. I tried blowing one once. Sorry. Jesus didn't show up. It was, a, it was a, I think I inhaled like a, a deteriorated rat that had been living inside of it for. Anyway, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> So freedom doesn't mean we can do whatever we want, but it means that we love people well and we create an environment with our worship and with our life that people feel free to be themselves and to respond to God however he's working on their heart in that particular moment. And um, because we want people to learn to steward their freedom rather than determining how they can walk it out or can't walk it out. That, doesn't, that just creates restrictions and it creates legalism and that's what religion loves is when we put law on people. That's the, that's the place that Jesus came into was that place where he came into Judaism when the law of Moses was in place. And they had taken the law of Moses and they had added like 40 rules to each law because they were so afraid that someone would break the rule. They had to think of 30 different, 40 different rules that you would break way out here so that you would know if you were getting close to even breaking that rule. And Jesus came to them and he said, You know every scripture, but you don't know the Father. You know how to perform, but your hearts are far from me. That we would steward our freedom even if it means that sometimes we're going to be too exuberant and too excited. and uh, Can we do that? I don't know. But when we're worshiping God, that we would be able to say, what does it look like to be fully alive in worship as a group of people and as a community of people? And that's what we want to experience. And that comes from freedom in front of our Father. To be loud, to be silent, to share, to dance, to laugh. And knowing what it looks like. To be a kid who's not afraid to be real in the presence of their father. I don't want us to deny our childlike nature. Here's the thing. We can't respond fully and entirely to God in worship if we are always concerned with remaining dignified, internally locked up, self-conscious about how we appear to people around us. (laughs) We will go places in worship the more free that we are and the more safe that we feel. So we want to steward an environment of freedom and safety that honors every person's process and every person's place, wherever they find themselves to be. (laughs) What time is it? Okay, I have a note that I'm supposed to turn this over at 1130. I'm so close. Doing great. So one of the things that we have to do, I want to say this as an aside, is um, to create an environment and steward an environment of freedom, we have to make sure that we are not judging and mocking people who worship differently than we do. Um, when someone is, makes us uncomfortable or they ex- celebrate or are exuberant or whatever it might be, that we don't, we don't get to mock them and we don't get to judge them because what happens is Hey, my little man, Um, what happens when we begin to mock and what we begin to judge is that now we have an area that we cannot go into ourselves. So what happens is that we when when we make a judgment, we instantly live under that judgment. That's why Jesus told us not to judge, otherwise we would be judged, right? We are, it's not that he's going to hold up the same standard to us. It's that we now become, we become victims of that same judgment. So now you can't worship. You will never be able to worship in that same place of freedom like that person that you judged because they were dancing around and laughing and snot was coming out of their nose and God was touching their life and you went, look at that lame-o. Uh-oh. What happens is I've just made a judgment against experiencing and encountering God in that way, and I will never, until I confess that judgment and break it off, I'll never have the permission, I'll never give myself the permission to walk into that expression. We can't mock people. We can't judge people. That's how we steward and create this environment of freedom. We confess those things and say, I may not ever have to, to worship like that, but I would like to have the freedom to be able to choose to if I want to. And not let a judgment or a mocking spirit constrict me from being able to to step into that if that's what God's asking me to do. What if God's asking you to stand stoically and not do anything? You're like, everybody thinks that something's falling apart in my life if I don't go like, Jesus. But sometimes the response that he wants you to have is maybe getting on your knees and not saying a word for hours on end to just sit in his presence but people will think that there's this or that or this or that. I don't, it's, it's not about what people think. And when we live backwards through what people think and we're processing that, it constricts our ability to be able to just say, what is the appropriate response to the presence of the Holy Spirit in this moment, at this time, in this place? And that we steward that environment so that as a group of people, we're able to fully engage what God's doing when we worship together. Does that make sense? Okay. You guys, I think we all know that God doesn't care uh as much as we do about how cool we are and how together we have it, right? Um, he he may not be quite as fixated on that. So here here's what happens. The series the series t- is titled When We Worship. And I want to do these really quickly and then we'll end on one and worship team. You can come on up here. When We Worship and here's why we flipped this message is that it's just we wanted to participate in the in in stepping into corporate worship together uh, in, this, in this time. And so there's more that I can say about these. I might post some more notes on this on Facebook just due to time. But when we worship, we host his presence. We can't, we can't give away to people what, we are not, what we're not ha- holding on to. And it's not our job to earn his presence, but it is simply an opportunity for us to, to live in a way where we get to steward his presence. And so when we worship, we're making a place to say, you're welcome here. You're welcome in my heart, you're welcome in my mind, you're welcome in my life, you're welcome in our gathering. When you worship, you aren't being selfish. This is a religious lie, to say, God, I want you to come and touch my life, I want you to come and touch my marriage, I want you to come and touch my child, I want you to come and touch... My this or that, this is not selfishness because what we understand is that we are stewarding an outpouring that doesn't end with us. It's not all about us getting it together and having it together. That when we say, Lord, as you show up in this area, as freedom comes and breaks out in my life, as I am set right, I am a conduit for your power and your presence and for heaven to come to earth in every area of my life. And we are not being selfish to say, God, come Encounter me. Interact with me. I want to know your love. I want to feel your love. That is not being selfish. That is being a kid who loves their dad. We aren't hunting a spiritual high. There's more we can say, but let's jump down to the one that I really want us to focus on. When we worship, something happens in us, something happens around us, and something happens ahead of us. I don't want us to diminish these amazing times of worship that we get to have together in corporate praise and worship. We need to understand what God is doing here and how powerful it is when we all set our hearts and our minds together on the greatness of Jesus Christ and we invite Him to come and have His way in our midst. I think that sometimes we diminish that, sometimes we lose focus on that, sometimes we think, We're going to sing a couple songs and then somebody's going to preach at us and we're going to go home and we don't realize that we are stepping into a whirlwind of heaven and in a whirlwind of God's presence. And if we would honor that and remember that and make space for that, it would be so important to us creating this atmosphere of freedom and joy in our worship time. I want to call on us in this month as we talk about worship to just renew our zeal For the beauty of worshiping together as a tribe and as a group of people from all different places, walks of life, backgrounds, that we are coming together with one heart, one cause, and that that is something that we would renew our zeal for and our excitement about to be a part of that. And the final thing that I want to say, and this is a forward word for us as a church in 2018 is that we want to be people where worship precedes whatever it is that we walk into as we expand in this city as we expand in this next season as even as we expand into this building that it would be preceded by worship a lot of times in scripture we say oh w- worship precedes warfare but the reality is is that oftentimes worship worship is the warfare that takes place. And as we worship, we see the things that are setting up before us. We don't ever even have to war against them because our heart of faith coupled and partnered with our great and mighty God, that faith that is activated through our worship begins to set straight the things that God has for us ahead of us that worship actually replaces warfare in your life. Some of us are so strung out on the teaching of spiritual warfare that we are tired as Christians. The enemy has you convinced that you are in this everlasting battle, that you never win, that every day it is renewed. You are being lied to. You are being lied to by an enemy that wants you to feel like you are always in a battle that you can never win. And that you are always on the precipice of the enemy figuring out how to infiltrate your life, your heart, your family, your marriage, your kids. It's a lie. It's a lie. When you begin to see the power of Jesus Christ resurrected, that you know that you are in him, that when you worship, you're not worshiping down here saying, oh God, come into my circumstance and maybe just fix something, but the enemy's kicking my my tail all the time. That we would change and we we would exchange that lie for a truth that when we worship, we worship seated in Christ. Seated with our Father who has absolute victory for us. There is no enemy. There is no enemy that can rip off what Jesus Christ has accomplished in my life. There is no enemy that can rip off, who has the authority and the power to rip off what Jesus wants to do in my family and in my marriage and in this city because he is the one who has won. He is the one who has victory. Am I messing with you too much? I'm just saying Spiritual warfare is when we get worship right. Because we see who he is. We remember what he's done. And we make a choice to partner in faith with his victory that wants to break out ahead of us. Stop giving so much place to the lie of spiritual warfare in your life. Spiritual warfare is simply worship. Spiritual warfare is simply Jesus' truth. Jesus' truth replacing a lie. And the reason that you may be in a spiritual battle is because the only lie that has authority over your life is the one that you believe. Worship breaks those lies because we begin to see God for who He is. We begin to see the unmistakable work of Jesus Christ. And we begin to invite the Holy Spirit to move in and through our life. That is what victory looks like. Second Chronicles 20. When Jehoshaphat, who was the king, he had consulted with the people. And he was up against a mighty battle. He appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in his holy name. And they went out before the army. And they said, Give thanks to the Lord, for his loving kindness is everlasting. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes for their enemy. They didn't even have to fight. Worship replaces warfare. So instead of fighting and striving, let's grab onto freedom and let's let worship be a warfare that sets us on a path that says, Because we're partnering with you, our victory is set. And we're expanding into the good places and the good things that you have for us.